Hi, this is Pastor Danny Deeth, and I'm so excited that you have chosen to join us here at First Presbyterian Church for worship today. Know that the love, grace, mercy, and joy of Jesus Christ beckon you to join our church family as we seek to celebrate our journey with Christ in this service of worship. So we're glad you're here. Come on in. Our first lesson is Psalm 91, one through six. Listen for the word of the Lord. You who live in the shelter of the Most High, who abide in the shadow of the Almighty, will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night or the arrow that flies by day or the pestilence that stalks in darkness or the destruction that wastes at noonday. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second passage is taken from Romans 8, 31 through 39. Somewhat familiar words. Listen again with fresh ears. Romans 8. 31 through 39. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. good morning. For those of you who I have not had the pleasure to meet, my name is John Mock. I uh, retired in November of 2017 after uh, almost 17 years on active duty service, uh, combined with some reserve time in there in the middle from the United States Army. And uh, really thankful to Danny and the uh, elders of the church allowing uh, myself and, and Matt to speak this morning to you on Veterans Day. So I've told uh, some of you in the congregation, I am a pastor's kid. My father was a Presbyterian minister for 35 years, um, but before that, uh, he served in the United States Army. 
and uh, was an infantryman in Vietnam uh, from uh, 19, uh, the end of 1969 to the beginning of 1971. And uh, interestingly enough, his road to the pastorate led through Vietnam uh, because while he was there, uh, the army in its infinite wisdom decided to take an infantryman and make him a chaplain's assistant for uh, one of the chaplains in the 101st Airborne Division. And so uh, that, in a roundabout way, uh, led him to seeking out the pastorate when he came back off active duty and attended seminary and became a Presbyterian minister. So in a roundabout way, leads us to here this morning. So he, uh, he always told me that when public speaking or giving a sermon, it's always good to uh, kind of open with a joke or some kind of levity. And so I was racking my brain between the first service and the second service um, to find a story that is funny and yet appropriate for a church setting from, the, from my time in the army. And uh, I had kind of two that, that came to mind. And so I'll, I'll uh, open with one and I'll, I'll close with one for you all. So when I was a uh, company commander in Fort Irwin, California, uh, in 2016, I was uh, the commander for a headquarters company, which is kind of the, the organization within a battalion that has all the people that make the battalion work inside of it. So it's not one of the companies that goes and does all the fighting. It's the company that has all the cooks and the staff officers and the office clerks and the people who work in the mailroom. And uh, it's a very large organization, lots of moving pieces. Uh, as it so happens, it is also the organization that takes all of the soldiers who have gotten in trouble in the companies who do all the fighting. It is the placeholder for them while the headquarters company commander ushers them out of their military service for misconduct. So I had the distinct pleasure of getting a lot of those soldiers in my time there. And we had one who particularly sticks out to me. His name was uh, Lieutenant Marcos Chavez. And he had made some mistakes when he was a young lieutenant on the line. And so we were helping him uh, come to a good end for his time in the military. And part of that was he needed to go have a talk with the commanding general one afternoon. And so because it is an officer, Talking to a general officer, of course, the entire chain of leadership needs to be there. So it is myself, my boss, our battalion commander, and my boss's boss, the brigade commander, there to see the old man in his office. And we're all there early because in the Army, you definitely learn that if you are 15 minutes early for an event, you are actually 15 minutes late for that event. And so you must always be on time. And so we're all standing there, but of course, Lieutenant Chavez is not there because why would he be on time? Uh, and so we uh, were looking for him and we're waiting and my boss is getting mad at me and his boss is getting mad at him and the general's like, hey, I got, I'm really busy. Like, <laughs> we need to get this going. And so Lieutenant Chavez pulls into the parking lot in his truck and we're like, okay, great, he's here. And we brief him up on how he needs to address the general and all the military customs and courtesies that need to be observed, of course, of which he observes none of those in his time with the general. And uh, we come to find out that uh, Lieutenant Chavez is in fact uh, drunk in front of the general. He decided to drink an entire bottle of vodka prior to uh, talking to the general, which was great. And so uh, the general stops us in the middle of it and says, please take this young man to the military police and have him checked to see just how drunk he is. And so we get to the military police uh, station and we're filling out all the paperwork and I hear a commotion in the other office. And what you need to understand is Lieutenant Chavez is about six foot four and 230, 240 pounds of all muscle. Uh, he is an infantry officer, uh, and so he is um, very competitive and very physical and did not exactly enjoy how the military police were treating him. And so he uh, wrestled with one of the officers there and ran away into the night in the desert of California. 
And uh, I'm filling out the paperwork and this really sad uh, sergeant comes in <laughs> with, a, with a look on his face. It's like, hey, sir, we lost the lieutenant. So I have to tell my boss that, hey, we lost the lieutenant. And long story short, Lieutenant Chavez chased around in the desert by the military police for a couple of hours. Uh, one of his claims to fame during that chase uh, was the fact that we had a Popeye's chicken on post. He ran through the Popeye's chicken, vaulted the counter, grabbed two handfuls of fried chicken on his way to other nefarious deeds. Uh, we eventually found Lieutenant Chavez after we got a search warrant for his apartment where we found him uh, wearing all of the clothes that God gave him on the day he was born, face down, passed out with both fried chicken still in his hand. And so that is the fun story of Lieutenant Chavez. So that to say that the, the army has its moments of, of extreme levity. Uh, but additionally, soldiers have a lot of things that generate fear uh, for them in their hearts. Uh, having been a soldier, I am intimately familiar with a lot of those, of those moments. And we fear missing out on the moments in our families' lives of our children growing. Um, deployments, times away, training events, uh, we're just not really home a lot. We fear that we will not know our children as they grow up. Uh, we fear that when we're away, our spouses would leave us, uh, would not be comfortable with the military life anymore. And so upon our returning, we would always fear that we would have that letter or that notice that, hey, your family has left you. Uh, we would fear on deployments being injured. We would fear our friends being injured. Uh, we would fear losing our lives and losing our friends. And it is interesting for me, having made the transition over to a veteran, that veterans actually have a lot uh, of fear in their lives as well, a lot of things that generate fear for them. Um, we fear becoming irrelevant, where we have uh, been integral to the defense of the country. Uh, we are now a civilian and no longer a part of that brotherhood. Uh, we fear the loneliness that comes from leaving that brotherhood behind, where that you work with friends that are so close, they become family every day. When you transition to becoming a veteran and, and a civilian again, uh, you don't have that anymore. And you're back to uh, the life that you had prior to military service, except you are many years older now and in a different phase of your life. And it, coming to, to, to grips with that um, generates a lot of fear. Uh, for the veterans that I know and for myself, there's the fear of uh, lifelong physical complications from your service. Um, being in the military is very hard on your body. And so as you move forward as a veteran, you know, there's that fear that, you know, am I going to be able to continue to do the stuff that I've always liked to do and would like to do again now that I'm out of the army? And I found that it's, it's interesting in this verse, uh, Psalm 91, it talks about you'll not fear the terror of night uh, or the arrows that sling by day. And so obviously as a soldier, you know, that applies the arrows that, that sling by day or that fly by day, you know, you fear that time in combat and training where you could be injured or killed. But the still of the night, the terror of the night comes uh, when you're alone with your thoughts uh, and you become overwhelmed with those thoughts and you, and you struggle with the fears that you have. And so for myself, even, even having grown up as a pastor's kid, I did not really encounter Psalm 91 for whatever reason. Um, just never really came up. And so one day uh, I was really struggling with a lot of these fears while I was still a soldier, um, particularly you know, fears of becoming injured or losing my friends or losing my life. And the Lord showed me this passage that you know, if you're 
refuge is within the Lord, if you seek shelter with him, that he will, he will save you, that you can trust in him and you'll have nothing to fear. And I really felt that being spoken to me, you know, in that moment that make me your refuge, trust in me and, and you'll be okay. And so during the hardest times in and out of uniform, in the depths of the night, when the voices of doubt are the loudest for us, um, I think whether you're a veteran or a soldier or just a civilian, you can take comfort in, in Psalm 91 there and the fact that when we dwell within the Lord, he dwells within us and that we have nothing to fear. And so one of the biggest struggles uh, for anybody who's been in uniform is facing the fact that you could be called into combat and you could be called to lay down and sacrifice your life or to possibly take the life of someone else. And psychologists have really honed in in the last 10 years a term for that. And because we are raised uh, within a society that values life and places um, a high commodity on that, learning to be in a position where you might have to violate that, uh, they've termed moral injury. And uh, that kind of definition, definition of moral injury is a lasting emotional, psychological, social, behavioral, or spiritual impact of actions that violate a person's core moral values and behavioral expectations on yourself. And so being a veteran now and working with veterans uh, with a nonprofit that I, I work with, I've really seen that that is a, an impactful thing for them. And so because you know, human beings really believe that we earn those good things that happen to us, right? We're raised as little children, actions and consequences, rewards for good behavior. It's just natural for us to expect that our actions have causes and that it follows then that we can do things to earn the love of God, that we can you know, earn his grace. And if we're just good enough and we just do the right things and, and be nice to people, we can do that. And so then when you combine kind of that belief that we have as humans, along with the moral injury that soldiers and sailors and Marines can, can struggle with in their lives, it becomes a real dichotomy that, you know, have I done the things as a soldier that would keep me from that love of God? And so I take much comfort from the second passage we have today in Romans 8, 38 and 39 that say, basically, no matter what happens, you'll never be separated from the love of God. And so that's truth is strongly resonated for me, uh, that God loves me, that actions or inactions do not separate me from that love and that his promise is that in Christ, through Christ, he will always love myself and by extension, all of us, regardless of any injury that we, that we sustain. And so I, I believe that that is just a glorious notion that we can all take joy in today, that we can never be separated from the love of God and that we can never be separated from him through Christ and that we can make our refuge and dwelling place in him and we can never be separated from his love. And so uh, in closing, a little bit of levity, um, again, from my time in the desert, and I think it, it kind of applies. So I had, I was a, a tank company commander and I had um, a group of young soldiers who were very bored waiting for the next thing to happen in our training rotation. And one of the things you're always told anytime you do training uh, with the army is please do not touch the wildlife, do not mess with the wildlife. We don't need to be out there uh, causing extra problems. And so 
I was making my plan and talking on the radio with my, with my battalion commander, and I heard a ruckus off in the corner of where we were, and so I went over to investigate, and lo and behold, there were all my young soldiers around a box. They had captured a tarantula and a giant scorpion in the desert and were poking them with sticks to get them to fight in some kind of ultimate fighting championship. I'm not really sure. And uh, I was like, why are you guys touching the wildlife? Please do not pick up the things that can sting you. And then I have to explain to my boss and his boss why I have soldiers in the hospital who've been stung by tarantulas. And they were like, oh, we're sorry, we're sorry, we're sorry. And so then I'm back to my plan and everything. And uh, one of my soldiers comes walking past me with a tarantula on a little string that he's fashioned a harness for him and is walking it like a dog. And I asked him, why did, I mean, why are you doing this? Oh, I don't know, sir. Like, did you, did you not understand that you're not supposed to touch the wildlife? It was like, how'd you get the harness on the tarantula? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I guess I touched it. And so um, just to, you know, we're, Matt and I are talking about weighty things today, but understand that it's not all, it's not all bad. <laughs> you know, it, it's easy to think that it's all horrible consequences that come out of your time in service, but it's also a lot of uh, deep front, deep and lasting friendships and hilarious stories uh, like that. And so thank you very much uh, for the time to share with you today. And uh, thanks be to God. Good morning. Uh, so I'm Major Matt Fontaine. I'm actively serving in the Army here at Fort Benning. Um, and before I begin, I have to say that in the morning service, John and I discovered that we actually, other than just serving in the Army, have a lot of things in common. We, we both have a family tradition of military service. We are both kind of spurred to service by September 11th. Um, and I just learned a new one. Uh, I, too, was a headquarters company commander uh, stationed at Fort Hood and in Iraq, 200-plus soldiers who uh, tried my patience as well when it came to the administration of military justice and some other things. So uh, I appreciate the lieutenant. Garcia, I think it was, sorry. Java, sorry. That was a good one, I appreciate that. Um, and my wife will tell you that I've also had a wildlife story. Uh, I started my career in the Air Force. Uh, my first job was to uh, help secure uh, our nation's most powerful weapons that are out in the deserts out west. Um, and there's a lot of complicated and, and sensitive alarm systems that help to keep those systems safe. Well, they're very sensitive and they're triggered easily by rabbits and birds and other forms of wildlife. And my airmen at the time who were responsible for securing those things could get a little frustrated with all of these alarms, especially when it was six degrees below zero and snowing and they had to be outside. So they, they came up with many creative ways to deter jackrabbits and squirrels and antelope and other wildlife. And I probably can't describe the details here, but you can use your imagination how they would keep the animals away from uh, the, the silos. But Anyway, with that, um, I'd also like to say thank you very much for the opportunity to discuss how my faith and military service have, have, have kind of run together over my 17 years. Um, and with that, really, I'll, I'll begin. Um, so perhaps you've heard the phrase, there are no atheists in a foxhole. And I tried to find the origin of the phrase. I, I was unsuccessful. But I can tell you that that rings true for me personally throughout my military career. A foxhole, I'm sure most of you know, is is a hole or a depression in the ground that soldiers could use to lay in when they were trying to avoid an enemy attack or enemy fire. Now, I'm not an infantryman. I'm a public affairs officer, and before that, I was human resources. So I've been fortunate. Most of my career has been, including overseas, has really been sitting at a desk, working at a computer or on the phone. So I've never needed to find an actual foxhole. 
But I've also learned in my 17 years of service that foxholes can take many different forms. Uh, and I'm fortunate that God found me in each one of them that I was in. So I'd like to take a few minutes today and share a couple of those foxholes with you. Um, I need to start by first telling you, though, that as a stubborn and, and arrogant young man, and maybe I still am today, I would sometimes question my own need for faith. Um, but fortunately, thanks to my wonderful wife of faith, along with God's grace, I've grown to see that I do need to have faith in his love and support, and that's been a, a major help to me throughout my career. So with that, let's jump into a couple of foxholes. I'll begin in 2007. This was my first Army assignment in South Korea. I mentioned I started my career in the Air Force and I transferred to the Army a few months prior. And I was struggling adjusting to Army life. I had a very demanding boss, an entirely new way of doing things. I was alone. I was halfway around the world. I was missing my family, who at that time consisted of a three-year-old little Maggie and a pregnant wife. My life was just completely turned upside down and I was overwhelmed. So after a few months of struggling with all of these issues and feelings that I mentioned I can be a little stubborn, I finally turned to God in prayer in, in my small one-bedroom apartment and really felt immediately comforted. I was calmer, I was able to get a good night's sleep that night, which I had not in quite a while, and then I began to adapt to my new normal after that. I'm not sure I will ever fully adapt to Army life, having started in the Air Force, but after 12 years, I think it's going okay. The next foxhole I'd like to tell you about uh, is a little bit more literal. So in 2013, I deployed to Afghanistan for the first time. Now, I had in the years prior, I had been to Iraq, so I'd already had my first combat deployment and went through a lot of stresses and frustrations with that. But going into the second one, I thought to myself, okay, well, I've done this. This is not going to be hard. I, can, I got this. I can handle it. But did I mention I can be a little arrogant sometimes, too? So my unit deployed to forward operating base Shank, or FOB Shank, which is a large airfield in a flat valley in southeastern Afghanistan. And from a bird's eye view, you might see that the mountain ridges around the airbase kind of look like the edges of a barrel, which ended up turning us into the proverbial fish. So that base had a nickname, it was called Rocket City. And it was a favorite target of the Taliban who could hide in the small villages surrounding the base very easily. And so our, during our nine months there, our, our, excuse me, our base was actually targeted by more than 200 rockets. We had warning radars, thank goodness, and they would detect a rocket in flight, and then it would sound a loud, distinctive alarm. And so if you were sleeping, you'd roll out of bed and hit the floor. If you were outside walking, you'd, you'd dive to the ground as quickly as possible, so that if one did land nearby, you could hopefully avoid the shrapnel and the explosion from the rocket. That's the closest I've ever come to needing a real foxhole, but I found that God was right there with me, lying on that dirty floor or on that gravel road. And I'd quickly pray for this one to miss us, and then jump up and run to the nearest cement and sandbag bunker, waiting for the all clear with other soldiers huddled around. Obviously I was lucky and got out of that situation unscathed. The final foxhole I wanna tell you about though, unfortunately is the saddest. Last year, 2018, uh, the unit I'm currently serving with, the First Security Force Assistance Brigade, deployed to Afghanistan to train, advise, and assist the Afghan military. On September 3rd, we received some news that we had been dreading and hoped it would never come. But there had been an insider attack, and that means that an Afghan policeman, or perhaps a member of the Taliban pretending to be one, had opened fire on a group of our Afghan, excuse me, of our soldiers following a meeting with their Afghan partners at a nearby base. The initial report was that two soldiers were hit, but that they would be okay. 
Now, wounded but likely to survive wasn't great news, but considering the alternative, it was welcome news. Well, unfortunately, that was the initial report. And as I've learned over years of service, the initial report is almost always wrong. It didn't take long for a second report and the accurate report to reach us. One soldier had been struck in the helmet and suffered a concussion, but he would be okay. The other, unfortunately, had been shot in the back. And despite the Herculean effort by his teammates to render first aid immediately and then followed on by the doctors at the aid station at his base, he died from those wounds. That soldier was Command Sergeant Major Timothy Bolliard. He was one of our senior enlisted leaders. He had more than 20 years of service in the Army. And to say that he was beloved by his soldiers is a tragic understatement. He really was one of the good ones. I didn't know him as well as I would have liked. We had met each other at Fort Stewart at a previous assignment, and, and we talked together occasionally. But whenever I did have the chance to talk with him, it was a genuine pleasure. He just loved to be around soldiers. He was over 20 years of service, which meant he could have retired with his pension, but he, he didn't. He chose to keep serving. He loved to be around them, and you could feel it. Without fail, he would smile at you with a giant dip of tobacco in his bottom lip, and with his slow and deep West Virginian drawl, ask you how you were doing. And he was 100% genuine. This was not a trope from someone in leadership who feels obligated or thinks that they have to ask you that question to see how you're doing. He meant it, and you really felt it. So as you can imagine, in the moments, hours, and days following an incident like that, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And even as a simple staff officer, I was responsible for helping to prepare the communications that would eventually announce his death. Obviously, this is something that would be read by his friends and his family and perhaps saved to help tell his grandchildren about him in the future. So for me, this was a no-fail mission. So there I was in yet another foxhole, wanting desperately to do Command Sergeant Major Bulliard and his family justice with the work that I had to do, and also struggling with a lot of anger and sadness over his loss. I prayed again for God's help. I sat in my makeshift plywood office, and I quietly prayed for Sergeant Major Bulliard and his family. I first prayed for him to find peace and joy as he entered into the kingdom of heaven. And then I prayed that God would help his family find strength and solace as they would in a few hours receive a knock at their door and, and the worst visitor that a military family could ever have. And then selfishly, I prayed for myself so that I would have the strength to do my best work for both them and the soldiers that Command Sergeant Major Bolliard had left behind. And of course, God gave us the strength, gave us all the strength, my fellow soldiers included, to soldier on through that terrible tragedy and we would eventually return home later in that year. So in closing, even though I've focused on a, a number of stories that have to do with stress and fear and sadness, I do want you to know that, that as John said, there is good news. My career has not been all foxholes. My family and I have had many wonderful blessings throughout my service. In fact, becoming a part of this church family is, is one of the ones that we will cherish forever. And while I'm still learning and growing, a career in the military has taught me that my faith in God's support and love isn't just for those foxholes either. It's for the many joys, blessings, and even mundane moments of life that can happen in between. And I know that when we face the next challenge that the Army throws at us, or, or life for that matter, that God will be in that foxhole with us as he is with each and every one of us. Thank you.